Ah, motherhood. One minute, your mom of the year. I love you, mommy. Then the next? Mm, not so much. From bath time to bullying, from potty training to puberty, parenting is full of challenges. But one thing is for certain, you are not alone. Welcome to Modern Mom Probs. I'm your host, author, mother, parenting expert, Tara Clark. Join me while we tackle today's Modern Mom Problems. Welcome to another episode of Modern Mom Probs. I'm your host, Tara Clark. Today, I am joined by Catherine Lowe, and today we're going to discuss something that might be a little cringy, but it's an important topic, the talk, the puberty talk. Catherine Lowe is a board-certified pediatrician. She serves on the executive committee of the Section on LGBT Health and Wellness with the American Academy of Pediatrics and is one of the authors of Uology, a puberty guide for everybody. She attended medical school at the University of Connecticut and pediatric residency at Maine Medical Center. She has practiced both inpatient and outpatient pediatrics. Dr. Lowe, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me, Tara. Dr. Lowe, may I call you Katie? Yes, that sounds great. Thank you for asking that. (laughs) We'll go with Katie from now on. All right. So Katie, you are a board-certified pediatrician. So you've likely seen children from newborns all the way through adolescence. And that covers a lot of what I like to call modern mom problems. What do you think is one of the biggest ones facing our adolescents today? I think today one of the biggest concerns facing parents is the mental health concerns of our youth in our country The American Academy of Pediatrics, so that's kind of the big national leader in all things pediatric. The American Academy of Pediatrics recently came out with some other organizations as well, declaring it a national emergency, the mental health concerns of youth in our country, that that has reached the levels of calling it a national emergency. So I think this by far is the biggest problem that parents face right now. Let's talk about some of the things, I mean, there's so many ways that we could dive into this, right? What do you think some of the contributing factors are? Yeah, I think the mental health crisis of youth in our country has been growing and growing for years. And then, you know, we cannot deny what the pandemic contributed to that crisis. So this is, this is a really a big concern that has just been gaining momentum for many years. And then the world was hit with this pandemic that just really exasperated the mental health crisis for youth in our country, you know, in so many ways, as we all know, youth were, and all of us were stuck at home for a while, lost the ability to connect with peers, lost the ability to go to school, You know, a lot of kids in our country and throughout the world lost parents and caregivers and family members to COVID. So a lot of them are missing people in their lives. We also know that COVID has really impacted communities of color even greater than other communities. So we we know that youth of color have been hit even harder by the pandemic. So All of this, I think, is contributing to the mental health crisis in our country that youth are facing, as well as many adults, but 
speaking as a pediatrician, I really focus on what our youth are dealing with right now. Suicide is currently the number two cause of death for youth in our country. So that just speaks to the degree of depression and anxiety and hardship that our youth are facing. At what ages are you starting to see a lot of these mental health issues? I mean, mental health issues can affect even young kids, even kids before their school age certainly can be facing depression and anxiety and other mental health concerns. Sometimes it's harder to, you know, as a pediatrician, we say it's harder to diagnose it sometimes in younger kids for developmental reasons. It's hard to tease out what is developmentally appropriate and what is outside that range of being developmentally appropriate. But we do know even young kids, preschool age kids can have mental health concerns and challenges. And as those kids get older and older, we are more and more likely to pick up on it and address it and diagnose it. Yeah, yeah. Let's talk about social media for a minute. What sort of advice and observations do you think are particularly important around social media use, technology use in the adolescents as it plays into mental health? Yeah, and that's an interesting connection you just made as we talk about mental health and pulling social media into that. There is a lot of research about effects of social media, and some of the research shows that kids who use a lot of social media have increased risks of mental health. And there's also research that shows social media can be a really positive thing for kids. So maybe, you know, I can just talk a little bit about the positive and negatives of it, and then that will bring up some kind of parenting advice as we as parents try to talk to our kids about social media. So again, I think it's important when we talk to kids about social media that we acknowledge there are benefits of social media. And it's important that we acknowledge that to our kids. Otherwise, if we're only harping on the negativities of it, our kids might not want to talk to us about it. And then that can cause lead to longer term problems. So some of the benefits of social media that we can acknowledge with our kids is that it can be a great way to get connected to peers and family members. It can be a great way to know community engagement things that are going on and to get involved in various community projects, civic engagement, all of that. Social media can be a positive way for kids who feel marginalized in any way to find support if they aren't finding that support elsewhere. So kids can find support on social media. Yeah, there are a lot of benefits to it. Okay, now there are also some risks involved. That's really important. We talk about the risks as well. Lots of people are talking about cyberbullying and bullying that happens on social media and online anywhere, which is very common. That type of bullying can be particularly harmful and dangerous because when it's coming through social media or online in any way, that means it can be coming at these kids 24-7. Like it's not restricted to the eight-hour school day or restricted in any way. So it can constantly be coming at them. It can come at the kids in any room in their house if they have screens in every room in their house. So suddenly the home isn't necessarily a safe haven or their bedroom isn't necessarily a safe haven if those devices are in those rooms as well. So it can really come at kids a lot more commonly and easily. It can be hard to tell if somebody is 
bullying online or not. It can be hard for kids to read into that and figure that out. It can be more subtle sometimes. So cyberbullying is a big concern. Other concerns, you know, when kids are on social media a lot, they're getting ads coming their way that can be harmful or promoting things that are harmful to adolescent health and development. Certainly a lot of people are talking about when kids are on social media, they're often seeing pictures of friends or superstars that aren't realistic photos of people and portray something that isn't realistic to achieve. Yet kids are taking in those messages and feeling like they need to strive to achieve that level of beauty or that level of thinness or that level of strength and muscles, whatever it may be. So it really portrays an unrealistic sense of reality for them as well. You know, sexting, all of that can happen on social media when people are posting nude or semi-nude images of themselves or writing things that are sexually explicit. All of that can be involved in social media. So I think for parents, it's important to talk about the good side of it as well as the harmful side of it so their kid can get skilled at using it for the beneficial ways if they so choose and if their parents are okay with that and avoiding all those harmful effects. Parents, I think it's super important for parents to set limits on screens altogether as well as social media to set some limits, some hour limits, some type of social media limits, whatever they feel is right for their family. And it's really good if you can get your child to make those limits with you to have that conversation together so they feel like they are weighing in on that and they are being heard and respected by their parents and they have a little bit of a say within these safety boundaries that parents can set. I think it's important for kids to be off of all screens an hour or two before bedtime and to not have those screens in their bedroom because we know that can leak into affecting their sleep. And when teens don't get enough sleep, their mental health worsens, their academics worsen. So we really need to protect their sleep. How much sleep should, I'm sure there's a chart there somewhere, like how much sleep should adolescents be getting? Yeah, around nine to 11 hours is what they should be getting. What are they getting (laughs) is a different question, right? We know so many teens don't get that at all. But they need nine to 11 hours. The adolescent years are huge years for brain development, body development, and they really need nine to 11 hours of sleep every night, weekends as well. Mm-hmm. So we as pediatricians really encourage kids to wake up at the same time every day to not sleep in till noon on the weekends because then they can't fall asleep as well that night and everything gets off. So we really encourage families to set a bedtime routine that is more or less consistent every day of the week and a regular wake up time that allows for that 9 to 11 hours of sleep. This podcast is brought to you by Citizens of Sound, a podcast production agency committed to developing and launching shows with gravity and depth. From conception to launch, Citizens will partner with you every step of the way, 
Whether you're an actor, business owner, doctor, fitness coach, influencer, or simply a hobbyist, Citizens offers everything from conception to branding, editing to mixing, and publishing to management. Jump on board with Citizens of Sound and start your own podcast today. Go to citizensofsound.com and follow them on Instagram. That's great. I want nine to 11 hours of sleep. (laughs) Right? Yeah. I'd be very happy with that. So, okay, Katie, let's talk about the talk. I am the mother to a nine and a half year old son. So this is a talk that we will be having sooner rather than later. And uh, all of my other mom friends of children with similar ages, we're all wondering the same thing. How can parents bring up the topic of puberty, when is the right time to start? Yeah, I think actually the right time to start is when they're toddlers, when you're starting to talk to them and maybe not in the way, Tara, that you're referring to, but really in in a broader sense, puberty education should start when they're toddlers, when you're talking to them, when you're changing their diapers, when you're bathing them. And that. I'm doing quote puberty talk (laughs) entails simply using the accurate words for their body parts and teaching them the right words for their penis or their vulva, whatever it may be. So really, I think big picture is we should just start talking to them, naming their body parts when they're toddlers, when they're just starting to understand body parts and the names for them. And that should just continue throughout their lives. So You know, you phrase this question as when should I have the talk with my child? But truly, I think the best way to help our kids learn about puberty is to not have one big talk, but to have lots of little talks throughout their childhood when opportunities arise. Excellent. Thank you. So what about when you have a almost 10 year old like I do? And I think we need to have the, and I'm using this in quotes again, the talk so that he understands about sex and about what is going to happen to his body in the next coming years. When do you think the time is right for that? Or or how can we approach it in a non-cringy way? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think when we're really thinking about kids who are, around, who are around the age of starting puberty, which can be as young as age eight or nine, by then we want to really be talking about more of the details about puberty. And the changes that the body, that bodies go through during puberty. And, you know, you said your child's almost 10. And I'm saying we should teach them about this before they're going to go through the changes, which would mean kind of by age eight. At the same time, Tara, no worries. It's never too late. If you haven't talked about it yet, totally fine. Talk about it now. So no, no shaming for parents at all. So wherever you are, It can be great to, when you bring your child in, maybe for a checkup with their pediatrician or healthcare provider, that can be a good time. If the healthcare provider brings up puberty and the changes that can be starting, then when you leave the clinic, when you go home, you can say, hey, I'm so glad your pediatrician or whomever brought this up. I've been meaning to talk to you about this. Do you have any questions about puberty? In a very non-threatening way. I think it can be good to start out by asking your kid what they know. 
So to say, if they've been in the clinic to say, hey, what do you remember about what your pediatrician just talked to you about puberty changes? What do you remember? What do you know to know where they're starting from? And then to give them a little bit more information from that and to keep checking in with them about questions they have. So you want to go talk a lot about puberty so that they understand it all by the time they start puberty. And those talks can include talking about reproduction as well. Some people like to keep those talks separate because it can be a lot of new information. I think a great way to have these talks with kids is to use books to help you to get a good book on puberty and to read it together with your child. And I think that often goes best if you just read a small part of it at a time instead of saying, we're going to sit down and read through this whole big book together right now, but to read, you know, read about body odor together and then talk about that. Maybe read about the emotional changes of puberty and then talk about that. It can help to start with some of those puberty topics that aren't quite so threatening to some kids, like body odor, body hygiene, sleep, and how that's so important during puberty too. So I think getting a good book and using that as a way to talk through these topics with your kids is great. I recently published a book on puberty with the American Academy of Pediatrics with two other physicians that is called Uology, a puberty guide for every body. So it's a really inclusive book that talks about changes for all kids during puberty. And that can be a great way to just kind of go through these topics with your kid little by little. I read it and I love it. I thought I loved the graphics. I loved how it was written for adolescents, but not in a condescending way. Or I think that it was very like adult, but like in a positive, in a respectful way, right? Like we weren't like kowtowing or pandering to them like, oh, well, here you go. And now you're going to, you know, be an adult. Like it was, I liked it. I think my son will enjoy it. He has not read it yet, but when we sit down together to go through it, I think he's going to appreciate it. And, you know, I'm glad that you mentioned about the bite-sized nuggets because, you know, I think so many times when people think about the puberty talk, they just think sex. Now I'm going to have to explain sex to my children. And that is part of it, obviously, which I haven't gotten to that part yet, but we will. But I liked what you said about sort of start with the conversations about body odor and maybe acne and, you know, taking a shower every day and all of those things that go into it, because then you can build up to the larger things that obviously need to to be discussed. And And as parents, it's really intimidating. And I remember... I never really got a proper conversation from my mother, but but I do know that she came to me at one point. I was watching television, and she came to me, and she's like, uh, just so you know, uh, girls get periods, and they wear pads. And she walked away. <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, okay, thanks. And at that point, like, I knew that because, like, I, I knew that she used pads and – I forgot if maybe I already had my period at that point. I can't really quite place when that very brief conversation occurred, but I can tell you that I had my period when I was 10. And I was the first one out of all of my friends that had it. And so that was very isolating and it was very scary. And uh, I knew what it was when it happened because, again, maybe we had learned in school or maybe I, I was, you know, anticipating it in some way, probably not because of my mom's <laughs> conversation. <laughs> uh, women get periods, they have pads. Okay, bye. And I was like, okay, 
thanks. Can I just watch my cartoon now? And it was, it was so, so very cringy. But I remember, you know, being so scared to talk with her about it and to really like explore anything else. And like I said, I didn't have any friends to talk with about it because I knew that they didn't have their periods and they didn't get their periods for like another, I don't know, maybe two years afterwards. So I don't want children to be in that position anymore, right? And and I want parents to have these really challenging conversations with, with their kids. I, I don't want a mom just to walk up to their daughter and say, you're going to get your period wear pads. And that's it. Like, I don't want that. I want so much more. And I think that's why it's important that we're talking about this now. And, and for my son, you know, it's different having a son versus having a daughter and explaining about, okay, you're going to get your period. Obviously, I don't have to say that to my son, but I do have to explain to him what a period is. And I do have to explain to him how his body works and how my body works and all of those things. And so I think it's so important that you said about having these little bite-sized conversations so that you don't have to, for lack of a better term, bite off more than you can chew all in one conversation. Yeah, I think you bring up so many important points there. Yeah, that came to mind. I think a lot of us, you know, our age, when we were young, a lot of us didn't have people, adults in our lives who talked to us about puberty. And so I feel like a lot of people our age were were kind of, were maybe new to this. We didn't maybe have good role models when we were young of how do adults have these conversations with kids. So we maybe didn't learn it as a child. So I think it is really scary for a lot of parents to know how to talk about this. I think a lot of parents really want to, but don't know how because we never saw it modeled for us. So first of all, I think it's really important to acknowledge that, to acknowledge where we are starting from as parents, which is maybe from a place of feeling lost and unsure and nervous. So I think first we need to kind of unpack our own stuff with this. Think about all of that. I think a good technique can be, you know, if a parent is nervous to have this talk, practice having this talk with a friend or with your partner. Practice saying to your friend or partner, you know, penis, erection, vulva, vagina, period. Say it all. If it's going to feel funny, say it a whole lot of times until you're just used to saying those words before you put your own maybe embarrassment or shame even on your child. Because we don't want our kids to grow up feeling ashamed about their body or that something is wrong with their body, that it should be secret, that they can't talk about it. We don't want to send that message. So if we're really nervous, that's okay. Acknowledge it, practice away, and then come to your child so that we don't put our own, you know, discomfort on our kid. This episode is brought to you by Modern Mom Style Box. Upgrade your wardrobe and enjoy unlimited styles for just $60 a month. Modern Mom Style Box is the first rental clothing subscription designed exclusively for moms and moms-to-be. Get started today with a free trial. Use promo code PTO. That's great advice. Thank you. I appreciate that. How do we, okay, so let's say we have the puberty talk. We talk about body odor. We talk about erections. We talk about semen and and whatnot, right? So now I think you're building to 
the talk, the sex talk, right? How do we approach that? Mm -hmm. Again, I think if, if parents are unsure, uncomfortable about talking about that, get a book. There's a lot of great books about that out there. Get a book and use that and read it together to talk about it. I think again, you, you called it bite-sized nuggets. And I think that's great. So talking about sex in bite-sized nuggets is great. We don't want to, we don't want to you know, put so much out there that our kids aren't ready for. So I think talking about it a little bit and asking them if they have questions and then following their lead is great. I think also, even if we're just talking about it a little bit, I think saying to them like, hey, if you ask them if they have questions and they say no, just say, great, you know, as you learn more about this or as you're hearing more out in the world about this, you can always come to me with questions and I will always answer your question. And to even say, if I don't know the answer to it, I'll find the answer for you. You can always come to me. And I think it's also good to say to them, because if you go elsewhere, like online, to get these questions answered, you might accidentally come up to stuff online that you don't really want to see. And that might be really harmful or really scary to you. And I don't want that for you. So just know you can always come to me. And I will always answer your questions. And then I think it's important that we do always answer their questions because even if they come to us with a question that we might think is way too out there for them, if we don't answer it, they're going to go to Dr. Google and we don't want that. So again, bite-sized nuggets when the opportunities arise. So if you're watching movies together at home, if there's like a romantic scene or anything, that can be a great opportunity to say, hey, what do you think about that? Do you know what they're doing? Do you have questions? So kind of looking for opportunities out in the world. Or if you're out and about in town and you see two people together, you know, pointing that out, normalizing it for them mm-hmm. is really helpful. That makes so much sense. I'm definitely going to employ that tactic of asking him questions if he has any questions. Because I think Knowing my son's personality, he's actually very receptive to that. So he will definitely tell you what's on his mind if he's curious about something, if he doesn't fully understand something. So I really like that. That's going to be my bite-sized nugget that I'm, I'm taking away <laughs> is to ask if he has questions. Yeah. And on that note, one more quick little thing. You know, you're saying your son is fairly receptive to talking about this right now. And that's, as many of us know often quite true, that the younger they are, the more open they are to talking to parents about this. So that's another reason to have these talks early. And even talking about sex early, you know, I think ideally talking about sex before they finish middle school is great, just because we know when kids are getting more sexually active, we want them to have the information before that happens. So getting this in before the end of middle school, but the earlier, the better, because the older they get, they learn these messages in our society that can be harmful, that we shouldn't talk about all of this. So you you do want to take advantage when they're younger, if you can, and get as much of this information in then. But it makes sense because, you know, you're right. There's so many messages that we're bombarded with just on a on a daily basis. For instance, we were driving to school this morning and I was flipping through the radio and one DJ at at some point said, watching porn. And I quickly changed the station. And my son didn't ask about it. Fine. Because I'm not ready to go into that conversation. But again, like 
you know, something as innocent as driving to school in the morning and you just happen to hear the DJ say that, whether or not he should have been saying that on a radio show in the morning or not is a different story. But like at some point, we're going to have to address those things. And so, okay, I'll give, let's dive into that. How do you address that phrase, that concept porn with yes. your children? Yeah. And the, the research out there shows that often by the age of nine or 10, kids have seen porn. I don't know the exact number, but uh, there's a significant percentage of kids who have accidentally come upon porn on the internet by the age of nine or 10. So again, I think never too early. I think the example you gave is a great example of when it, you know, somebody's on the radio and says something about porn and you're with your kid and you haven't talked about it. I think that would be a great opportunity to say, hey, do you know what porn is? And if your child says no, you could say, you know, it's some adult sexual stuff. Do you want me to tell you more? And they may say yes or no. Or, I mean, some parents might be comfortable even saying, do you know what porn is? If they say no, you could say, Oh, it's when sometimes people go online and there's pictures or videos of naked adults doing things together. Do you have any more questions about that? Do you want me to tell you anything else about that? So I think those that example you gave is a perfect example of watching for the opportunity to arise naturally mm-hmm. to talk about these things. That's great. That that's really helpful because again, I just sort of got flustered and just quickly changed the channel, and, and then that was it. <laughs> but, yeah, and again, right, like, I think- no sh- no shame in that, and a lot of us do that, and that's understandable. So no shame in that. And next time it comes up, you can ask, "Hey, do you know what that is?" Now I'll be able to ask. I I just didn't have the mind space for it as I was dropping no. him off on a, <laughs> on a Tuesday morning after Memorial Day. <laughs> just for sure, for sure, didn't have the mind space for that, but. Yeah. Um, I think it's really important. I really love the idea about the bite-sized conversations frequently held when they come up naturally so Mm -hmm. that you're not just coming out of the blue. Like I was watching cartoons and my mother came up and told me to wear a pad. You know, at least like there's context, right? And so if I was watching Mm -hmm. a show and, uh, you know, for instance, when I was a kid, the movie Pretty Woman was a very popular Mm -hmm. movie. And I saw that at a pretty young age. And that's probably how I learned about sex was watching Pretty Woman. But I mean, that would have been a really good opportunity for a parent to sit down and explain this to me Mm -hmm. so that I could understand it in its entirety. So I I appreciate that. So now that my, my son is, like I said, almost 10, on the playground, so many of these kids are chatting about things. They're calling their body parts different names now that he was never aware of because he only ever really called it a penis. And now they're calling it all different things. And so, like, how do you address, like, the peer pressure or those, like, you know, friendship conversations that happen on the playground? Yeah, I think when kids are using different words for body parts, I think, you know, we as parents can talk to them about that. And if they come home telling us about a new word or something to just say, yeah, okay, so somebody calls this body part this word, and that's fine. It's just really important that you also know the real word for it, which is penis or whatever you're talking about. And to say, like, it's okay to have funny words to describe it, as long as it's respectful, as long as you also know the accurate words as well. So again, we just kind of want to normalize what they're going through, which is they're giggling about it all. It is maybe a little awkward and that's okay. And to tell them that's okay. 
I just want to make sure you also have that the right information too. Thank you so much for joining us today. Do you have any takeaways while before we wrap up? Do you have any takeaways to share with us? I think on this topic, just the takeaway, I think is just have lots of these little conversations with your kids when the opportunities arise. Start when they're toddlers and maybe a lot of your listeners don't have toddlers anymore. So start now. It's never too late to start, but just jump on it when there's any opportunity to talk about any of this because we want our kids to come to us, not the internet, to get this information. Right. Excellent. Dr. Catherine Lowe, thank you so much for being here with us today. Tell everyone where we could find you and learn more about this topic overall. Where you can find me is probably running around with my kids. But um, (laughs) aside from that, you know, I'm not really on social media myself for a lot of the reasons we talked about. But again, I, I did recently publish this book that people could find online wherever you buy books. So again, the book is called Uology, A Puberty Guide for Every Body. So yeah, I would encourage people just to wherever they like to buy books to seek this book out because it can be a great way to help you talk about puberty with your kids, regardless of their gender, regardless of their body. It's for every kid. Excellent. I love it. It's such an inclusive book and I thought you handled that beautifully. So thank you for that. Excellent. So we will see you soon. And thank you for joining today on Modern Mom Probs. Thank you, Tara. Thanks for listening to today's episode of Modern Mom Probs. I hope you enjoyed our deep dive in today's problem with me, your host, Tara Clark. Join me next time when I'll be interviewing another great guest, and tackling another modern mom problem. If you enjoyed today's episode, please leave us a review and a rating. As always, you could head over to Modern Mom Probs on Instagram and give me a follow or check out my book, Modern Mom Probs, A Survival Guide for 21st Century Mothers, available online wherever books are sold. Well, that's it for today. See you next time, folks.